Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Mike Jones visits fraud busting today. He's been the hacker with a legit job during the day who caused havoc with his underground group in the cyber world by night. He takes us through his journey of doing crypto stuff, as he calls it, for the Navy, to being targeted by the FBI and then working for him. We'll hear about his experiences behind the scenes working for the government, how he got stranded in Europe for two years, his ideas on election hacking and what to do for your computer loving kids so they go down a good path and stay on the right side of the law. Enjoy. Mike, thank you so much for joining me on Fraud Busting today. Absolutely. Now, um, you're a pretty interesting fellow and um, I, someone I really don't know a whole lot about, but I want to know a whole lot about. So. Um, Tell me, or just tell us just a little snippet of what you're up to, how we ended up getting in touch, like stuff like that. Okay, sure. Um, first of all, I, I started out uh, in the military and uh, left the military and started a group called Anonymous. Um, got into a little bit of trouble with the FBI, uh, worked for them for a little bit as a CI. Um, and then I took what I, I did and I learned and uh, started helping kids uh, make better cyber decisions and uh, help people protect themselves on the internet. Um, okay, so let's back up. Right now. There, there's a lot there <laughs> that we need to unpack. <laughs> so, um, and, then, and then we'll get into what's going on now. So what's going sure. What now? You joined the military, how old were you? What was your job? What branch? Tell us all that. Sure. I was 18 in my first enlist enlistment during the first Iraq war. Um, I served another uh, uh, term um, right after 9-11. I re-enlisted on 9-11 as a cryptologist in the Navy. Oh. Um, and I served the Joint Force Intelligence Command in Virginia, um, doing all kinds of crypto stuff. Um, and I got out around 2003. Um and then that's when we started uh, building up Anonymous. Oh, uh, it was okay. a small idea. So let's let's talk about that. So um, so you built this group Anonymous, which you know mm -hmm. uh, says a lot about what the <laughs> what they're up to. So what what specifically can you say what you all were doing? Like how how did you end up on the bad side of the law? Um, I I wasn't really happy with uh, what I saw in the military. Um, the intelligence pictures that, that, that we were getting was quite different from what was being portrayed to the public. Oh. Uh, a lot of stuff I didn't agree with. Um, and just a really distaste for the federal government at the time. Okay. Um, and so we start an idea to the ideology behind the original anonymous group was more of leveling the playing field and also uh, exposing corruption. Um, and that's what we did. Uh, and it, sometimes it was taken a little bit too far. Uh, the problems you run into with a group like that is it's very disparate. And sometimes people work on their own, but under the auspice of anonymous. 
and some bad things were, were carried out. And of course, the people that were at the core, um, Barrett Brown, myself, uh, a handful of other people um, were chased down by the FBI. Oh, wow. Now, uh, now, what exactly did you all do? Let's 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 throw the covers off <laughs> and quit calling it bad stuff and <laughs> things like that. Like what happened? Well, I can go into some of it. Um, okay. Some of it I can't talk about, but um, it started off with the Church of Scientology. Okay. Uh, we went after the Church of Scientology to face the website um, because of some of their practices and, and the way they treated people. Um, we also attacked FBI, CIA. Um, Occupy Wall Street was another big one. Um, I was actually working both sides of the fence during Occupy Wall Street. I was working for a bank. And at night, I was also attacking the same bank. Oh, man. Um, so, so, so were you getting money out? Was, were you just putting your message on the site? No. Like, what, what happened? Most of it was denial of service. Um, so we had a couple tools that, that we created called LOIC and HOIC. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're a spinoff from, the names come from a, a, a game. Um, and basically, it was low-orbit ion cannon. So we distributed these tools mass to masses and basically uh they were denial of service tools um so we bring down websites um cause havoc within the banking systems mm-hmm. um stuff like that um until people you know would recognize you know the corruption and, and acknowledge it um there's a lot of def- uh, defacements that went on um westboro baptist church i don't know if you remember that or not um, they had a really big problem with homosexuality and and they were uh, very verbal about it um and they protested it and we took down their website actually live uh during a, a tv interview oh wow um it's pretty interesting so there, there's uh, the funny thing about anonymous was we had a lot of groups that splintered off of anonymous so you have lulsec um and several other groups uh that carried out their own operations as well um but i didn't really get into that end of it. Um, I stayed mostly within the anonymous core. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did do some things like doxing people and exposing people. We took down uh, um, several thousand uh, ISIS profiles on social media. Uh, we caught tons of pedophiles and turned them in. Um, we actually uh, got reprimanded for um, reporting some of the pedophiles because we were interfering with police investigations. Oh, wow. Even though we had all the data and we turned it over, um, the police didn't want us messing with it. Um, so from 2003 to 2016, uh, the FBI and, and Secret Service and U.S. Attorney's Office built a profile and collected uh, data on what I was doing. Um, 2016, it came to a head. And um, we had a sit-down meeting, and I ended up becoming a CI form for a year. And a CI is? Confidential informant. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but I had a really good lawyer, and the way that we worked it was I didn't do anything domestic. It was all foreign intelligence, um, mostly uh, on Eastern Bloc hacking groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so to put things in perspective, it was 2016, so the election was going on. Um, so you can kind of put two and two together as to what I was doing. Um, I can't go into too much of that, uh, without 
probably landing myself in jail. But right, um, yeah, no, me I too. Didn't. Neither of us needs to go to jail here. So, so, so okay. So let, let me summarize this here. So, mm-hmm. so, so you have your group, and you guys are like, you know what you're doing. You're and you're attacking people that you don't agree with on one level or another. Is that kind of the basis of it? One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And so, is there um, is there gain in this, or is it just because you can? It's because we can. Okay. Um, now there were people in a group that did go after financial gain, mm-hmm. um, but that was not the ideology that we started with. And if you look at anonymous sort of around uh, the uh, Michael Brown um, St. Louis uh, riots, right, right, um, you you can see traces of anonymous guys that were setting fire to buildings and you know things doing kinetic things, physical stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not the ideology we started with. Um, a lot of people left the group because of that that twist in ideology. We didn't oh wow! With. So then, how how did the FBI find you? Because because you kind of left a gap in there. You're like, all of a sudden, it just came to a head. Like, are, are like for one, where are you? Are you in a basement somewhere with a hoodie on? Like, how does this really happen? And how do they find you? So, I maintained a full time job. The entire time um, working for large corporations, working for startup companies. Um, and one day they showed up at the office I was working at and took me to lunch. Oh. Um, I had started a group called DC 972, which is a DEF CON group. Okay. And they showed up at the, at the meeting and was very interested in some of the stuff that, that I was talking about regarding botnets and, and denial of service. And it kind of grew from there. And they picked me up one day from work to take me to lunch. I started asking me questions about specific individuals within Anonymous. And of course, I didn't give them any information, but they were trying to use us against each other. Oh, yeah. Um, some, of those, some of those guys did get arrested. Some of those guys did do time. I'm not really sure why they let me go from that point on and just kind of tailed me. Um, but the surveillance was off and on, like I said, from 2003 all the way to 2016. Wow. Um, and they would show up at the most inopportune times, um, sit outside my house. Uh, they, they would always make themselves um, apparent that, that, that they were there. Uh-huh. Um, so I was constantly looking at my shoulder and it was, it was a really stressful time. Um, I didn't make things easy on myself by, you know, working a full-time job and doing what I was doing because I knew that they were right there. Uh-huh. I knew that I would eventually get caught. Um, I fully expected to be arrested. Um, when I wasn't, I was really surprised and kind of relieved. Um, but the harassment didn't stop there. Uh, I lost uh, access to get back into the United States when I was in Europe. Um, I lost any capability of having a bank account. Okay, hang on, uh, hang on, back up. Let, let's talk about these things here. So, <laughs> so, um, so why why did you go to Europe? And then because you, you told me already that you didn't have a passport or they took it from you or something. Like, how'd you end up in Europe? Uh, so I was, I was working for a company um, and I was going back and forth between uh, Houston and Scotland. Okay. Um, doing legit work. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, you know, this is a couple of years ago and I, you know, everything I, I was doing was above the board. Um, I haven't broken any laws in a very long time. Um, and I was traveling back and forth and uh, the last time I tried to go home was uh, during Black Hat of last year. Okay. 
And, yeah, um, Black Hat is a conference. Yeah, and they, and they have like their international ones, and then there's in there one in Vegas or something. There's one in Vegas. That's the main one. They have Black Hat uh, Federal in DC. They have Black Hat Europe, Black Hat Asia. Okay. Okay. Um, there's several of them, but I try to go back to uh, Black Hat, and I stayed at a hotel at Gatwick Airport in London, and um, I had a seizure. Was taken to the hospital in the ambulance. Uh, they locked up the hotel room. Um, I have a tendency to hide my passport. It's just out of habit. Okay. Um, so I put it under the bed between two boards that I knew nobody would go looking after. Mm-hmm. Um, after I got out of the hospital, we went back to retrieve our stuff. They unlocked the room. Everything was there except for my passport. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. my gosh. Wow. So I went to the U.S. Embassy in London and tried to get an emergency passport and I replaced my passport. I paid my 125 pounds, took the photos, and they told me that my passport had been revoked. Um, they were really, you know, helpful when it came to filing for a lost or stolen passport. But as far as like helping me get a new one, there was no help at all. So I was basically stranded in Europe. Um, for how long? For almost two years. Wow. And so how did that work? Because you had a legit job that you were there for, right? So did you just call them and were like, Hey. I lost, unfortunately, lost that job because I couldn't go back to the States. Um, and I ended up, you know, staying with friends, staying with a girlfriend, you know, her family. Um, it was, it was really difficult. I mean, technically yeah. I was homeless in London for two years. Yeah. Fortunately, but unfortunately, I got sick uh, not too long ago and got diagnosed with epilepsy. Oh, wow. So, at that point, um, the hospital that I was in in London contacted the UK consulate, who then contacted the US consulate. And it's technically illegal in the UK to be homeless and have epilepsy. Really? So the US was kind of forced to let me back in. So they gave me a provisional passport that was only good for like a couple of days mm-hmm. and allowed me back into the country. Um, gave me 60 pounds travel money. And it was kind of funny because when I went to London Heathrow, um, they actually, everything was set up. I had my ticket, everything. Um, I get to the line to get in, to check in, and I was denied. I thought, you know, the UK UK and U.S. consulate, I have the paperwork right here. Uh And they had to call DHS and clear me through DHS before I could even go through TSA. Um, And that's just, that's very minor compared to what I've been through as far as the harassment. Um, Even though I'm above board now and I don't have any charges over my head, Uh um, they make life very hard. I can't get a driver's license. I can't get another passport. I can't get a bank account. Um, So so, so so you're just stuffing cash under your mattress? Like what's the, how do you operate? I have a way of doing it. Um, there's ways online to uh, online bank accounts that that help me. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail. Okay, yeah. Okay, we don't need to do. <laughs> I like to survive for a while. <laughs> All right, we don't want to out you too too much. So, so, so while you're over there in Europe, like we know you're struggling for somewhere to live. Are you still doing your? Um, like shutting down websites or like, how are you getting money? Are you, do you ever, do you ever cross the line into, into um, like out and out financial fraud or what, how does, 
You yeah. never do it. 26. No, 2016 was the last of my illegal activity. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't done anything illegal since then. Um, what I did was I worked with the London Met Police in their cyber, cyber prevent program, mm-hmm. and I became a public speaker. Um, and it got to the point where I was being paid to do public speaking at yeah. different events and conferences. And so that helped me survive. Um, the people in Europe, um, I can't say enough about, like they were fantastic. Um, they recognized the fact that my background was useful to help stop uh, fraud to help stop, you know, kids from making wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and their program is, is cutting edge, something we don't have in the United States. Uh, they actually give kids a second chance uh, and people like me a second chance. Um, and I helped in that program and, and it helped me get my name out there. And I toured all through the UK. I spoke in Egypt remotely. Um, I did a lot of uh, public speaking mm-hmm. um, and worked with those kids a lot. Uh, and it was great. You know, it helped me survive. It put money in my pocket. Um, and my family over there really helped, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend and, and her family really uh, took care of me. Wow. Because I knew my situation. Yeah. So, so then um, I have so many questions. So, okay, let's talk about, okay, what are you doing now? Cause you have like, like you've kind of left the bad, behind and you're um on a good track like like you're speaking you're helping kids like what's what's what do you do all day now right now since i've been back to the states i've just been recuperating um i fought COVID off twice i had the european strain and the american strain oh man um, was hospitalized for for a while um so i'm recuperating in the mountains in alabama in a remote location um i'm still doing Speaking, I haven't done anything lately, um, but you know I'm gonna start picking that back up, and I'm gonna start doing some freelance stuff, uh, mm-hmm. pen testing stuff like that. Yeah. Now, um, pen testing for people who are listening is it's basically breaking into companies, but they pay you to do it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you'd be perfect done, at that. <laughs> I've done it for going on 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing that when I was in Anonymous. Um, that was my, my legit job. I've always been a pen tester and a red teamer. A red teamer basically modeled um, adversaries and uh, identified risks within organizations and modeled what those adversaries would do to that company and mm-hmm. carried that out. Right. Uh, so everything it's pretty now easy. Is, it's pretty easy to break in. I mean, from what I'm hearing, um, yeah. like, the, like the, we, we all have so many vulnerabilities that right. it's it, so, okay. So what else are you doing? Um, building companies, uh, uh, looking at starting some companies south of the border, um, doing some stuff here, uh, just continuing what I'm doing, uh, from the UK, mm-hmm. but doing it from here instead of London. And I'm trying to get everything back in order. Um, trying to get my passport back, trying to get, you know, cleared from DHS and, and from the banking systems. Um, I don't know how much work that's going to take. Um, I've contacted some senators and some congressmen to help me out. Um, oh, wow. Because I, I look at it this way, and, and this, is my, this is my distaste for the federal government, is the fact that I serve the country and defend the country during two wars. Mm-hmm. And I'm treated like an enemy of the state. And I, I understand the stuff that I did was wrong, but you know, I've helped them out. 
and it's time to, you know, bury that hatchet and, you know, let me, you know, live like a normal human being instead of, you know, imprisoned in my own house. Right, right. Now, let's, let's talk about this. I think you are the right guy to talk about this with. Um, 2020 election, who's hacking us? Cause, and how are they doing it? I know so, you know. I know you know this, Mike. <laughs> without going into too much detail, um, I worked for the FBI as a CIA during the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Um, things are, I'll just say this. Things are not always as they appear. Okay. Um, the Republicans and the Democrats obviously don't like each other. Right. Um, and the FBI probe into misconduct, uh, the Comey report. Um, I'll just say this, the, the federal government and the Department of Justice is not always as clean and white as they seem. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some underhanded things that go on within the federal government. Oh, sure. And of course, they've got to find uh, a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. That's the government's you know, main function when it comes to uh, pinning crimes or trying to find someone responsible. If they're responsible, they'll usually point somebody out or a group out externally Uh and put the blame on them. Um, I got some insight into what was going on during elections in 2016. And I'll just say that things are not always what they seem. Okay. So, um, I get that you can't say a lot. <laughs> so then do you think, knowing what you know, that the rightful people end up in office? No, absolutely not. Okay. All right. Now, um, is there anything that we regular citizens on the street can do to have our vote count a uh, a little bit more than maybe not at all. <laughs> so I'm kind of jaded when it comes to voting. Um, I don't vote. Uh, can you vote sure now? Do you, I mean, can I'll, you? I'm not even sure. I haven't tried. Mm. Um, but the reason why I don't vote is because my view is that government is one corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, right and left, it appears to be a, a, a solid division. But when it comes down to it, the lobbyists, the constituents, they're the ones who choose. Um, Money is what drives business and government's a business. Um, So if people think that their vote really counts, I would say maybe take a look at how the elections and how voting is really set up. Mm -hmm. Um, But people can vote a certain way within, let's say, a red state, right? But if the Electoral College doesn't agree with that vote, the Electoral College does not have to vote with the populace. Oh, exactly. That's totally true. So, you know, I think, you know, our, our founding fathers, I'm a Freemason as well. Um, so I'm a big constitutionalist and, and I wow. believe in the way that the government was, was built back during, you know, the founding fathers' time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that when government gets too large, it's the people's responsibility to rein it back in uh-huh. and to take it over. If the government becomes corrupt, it's the people's responsibility to fix it. Um, and I think what we're seeing, especially during a pandemic and during the riots, is that people are starting to wake up. Um, they're starting to see that the government um, has gotten too large and overbearing. 
And I think eventually we're going to come to a point where it may not be a civil war in a traditional sense of North versus South, but I think it'll be the people versus the federal government. Um, I think we're already seeing that. And it's just going to take one trigger event to spur a, a wider reaction. Um, but people are starting to wake up a little bit. Wow. Now, is there is there anything we can do as far as like, should we go vote in person? Should should we take our mail in ballot and drop it in the box ourselves uh, at the voting place? Like what is there anything or is this all in your experience kind of out of our hands? There's nothing we can do. It's a patriotic duty to vote. Um, I don't do it because I don't agree with federal government, but, you know, they do run the country. Um, if you're a voter, vote, but vote in person. Mm-hmm. Um, now, will election fraud still happen? Absolutely. Um, ballots ending up in rivers, dead people voting three or four times. Um, our system of government is beyond corrupt, uh, and, and we see it every day. And I don't know if there's a way to fix that. Um, I sat in London and watched the pandemic break out and I watched the riots break out. And I thought, how sad, you know, like our, our government has just fallen apart and, you know, the people are left powerless. Um, but I would say, do your patriotic duty and vote if that's the type of person you are. Um, because that, that's the backbone of what our country is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, government by the people for the people. Unfortunately, once it gets to the federal level, it's not for the people. Um, but hopefully if people do their patriotic duty and stand up for what they believe in, hopefully things will change. Um, it'll be painful uh, because change is painful. Yeah. But if people pursue it, I think, you know, if we band together, we, we can make things change. Got it. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I ask all my, all my guests this, what's the craziest case you've worked on that you can talk about? Craziest case. Hmm. Well, I can say that when I was in the military, I worked on a few cases of um, some very sketchy behavior from brass. Wait, from from who now? Brass, uh, like uh, officers. Oh, officers, brass. Okay, got it. Um, some stuff that they were doing on Craigslist and stuff like that. I've saw some really crazy stuff. Like, uh, uh, like, like selling uh, yeah. guns and stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. No, like selling themselves. Um, selling themselves. Oh, like shoot. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, I saw some crazy stuff in the military. Uh, and then when I was working for the FBI, I won't go into too much detail, but it was very shocking to see really the truth behind what actually goes on and how the FBI operates mm-hmm. um, and how they used me as an informant was really shocking. Uh, and people, people like me who have been informants before um, know what I'm talking about, the constant OIAs, which is otherwise illegal activity forms that I had to sign, I basically said, um, it's okay to break the law if we tell you to, but if you go outside that scope, then we'll convict you. Oh boy. And I thought, you know, this is really deranged that, you know, you're having me break the law and do the things that I did while I was an anonymous and you're sanctioning me to do it legally, but yet you came after me. 
you know, so it just, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. Right. Um, I have a little touch of Asperger's. So uh, a lot of like social stuff doesn't make sense. Um, and the way they treated me was very, just very odd. Like I, I didn't understand it. Um, every time that I signed paperwork, I never signed it with my name. They gave me a name to sign it with. Um, really? Yeah. Everything was cash. There was no checks. There was no traceable, um, accounts. Um, it was, it was kind of scary actually. Um, but I was just glad to get through it. I had a really great lawyer, uh, David Adler. He was ex CIA. Mm -hmm. Um, and he ended up uh, getting a guy out of prison that was, uh, that was working for the CIA. They got busted for, um, arms dealing and the CIA turned their back on him and he ended up doing some time in prison and my lawyer got him out. Wow. Access to the documents. Um, but that's how the federal government works. They, they use people. And when they don't need you, they throw you away. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so you're not really working for the government anymore. Is that true? No. And so you're working like speaking and how are you helping kids and people now? Let's get into that. So the kids uh, that I worked with in London were fantastic. Uh, The cyber prevent program identified potential cyber criminals within um, an age group that ranged anywhere from 11 to like 18. Um, and they would bring them in and do an intervention workshop, them and their parents. I would speak to their parents, tell them my story, um, kind of tell them what to look for, how to connect with their kids, because most of them that I dealt with were on the spectrum. Uh-huh. Um, so there's unique issues there and, and things that the parents kind of needed to know. Um, and there, what I found was there's a huge gap between the parents and the kids as far as communication goes and understanding. And a lot of the parents didn't understand the technology. So I worked with them a little bit. And then the kids, I tried to connect with them. And it was really easy to connect with them because they were on my level. Um, a lot of them didn't know that they were breaking the law. Um, the Computer Abuse Act in the UK is not really delivered to kids. It's, it's a law, but it's never explained. Um, I went and spoke at university and I was talking about the computer abuse act in the UK and the lecturer that brought me in to speak to the school turned around, looked at me and said, what is that? I was shocked. I was like, you teach cybersecurity at a university level and you don't know what the computer abuse act is. So that's the type of things that I do is I, I help people understand the law. Um, I help kids, you know, identify that they are talented and use that talent to help um, and to build a career rather than end up in my position. Wow. So then, um, oh, keep keep going. Now I have a question after that. So it really really helped me like connect with myself and understand um, the psychology behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of understand like the reasons why I did what I did. and why I, I do certain things um, because I really had to dive into that psychology part of it to really understand uh, some of the other people I was dealing with. So, so what do you think? Why did you do it? Just, I mean, besides that you could, what do you think? Like a lot of it has to do with control. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as a kid, I didn't have much control. I came from a family that was very strict. Uh, my dad was kind of absent. Um, so I was very like, to myself mm-hmm. and I didn't have much guidance when it came to that stuff. Um, and it didn't matter what I did, everything was wrong. 
and their idea of uh, parenting was throw, you know, electronics kit or a computer at me and that would keep me entertained. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Um, So that type of psychology, you know, it, it builds off of that, that need for control and also, you know, financial part plays a, a part once you get older. Um, and also just the fact that you can do what you do. Um, I tell kids, you know, especially the younger ones, it's like being a magician. You can do things that, that other people can't do. It's like a superpower. Mm-hmm. But with, with that superpower comes responsibility. Um, and that's one thing I didn't understand as a kid was the, the things that I could do could cause damage. Um, I think the first place that, that I attacked and got caught was the nuclear subcommittee BBS. Uh, and I received a letter of warning from, you know, the government saying, look, don't do it again. Uh-huh. Uh, so at that point, you know, I, I had, the, I knew I, I had that need for control and I had a, a talent that I didn't know it was a talent. I just thought it was a skill, but, you know, I try to explain to kids it is a talent. And it's the next step in human evolution, I believe, is the position they're in. Right. So, so, then, so then what, uh, let's, let's say there's a parent listening right now with, with a kid who is, uh, I don't know, maybe like you said, a touch of Asperger's or just really good at computers. Maybe you don't know exactly what they're doing. How, how, what are the resources out there to turn them in a good direction versus get into trouble? I would tell the parent, this is what I tell parents all the time. Um, learn technology, uh, get involved with what your kids are doing. If your kids are gaming, if they're playing Fortnite or if they're playing Minecraft, play with them, um, get online with them, monitor what they're doing, because those are the grounds where organized crime recruit kids and groom them. Um, we've seen it over and over again, uh, white supremacist groups recruiting kids from Fortnite uh, pedophiles doing the same thing, um, organized crime groups for credit carding and stuff like that. will start off having kids mod characters or mod maps. And it grows from that to attacking databases. Mm-hmm. Um, so really get involved with what your kids are doing, um, understand, connect with them, understand technology. And I know they're kids games, but if you really want to be a part of your kids life and, and, you know, really be active, you have to get involved um, because that's, that's the future, you know, and, and those kids are already there and they're going to leave you behind. And if they leave you behind, you will have no idea what they're doing. Right. Wow. Now, are, are there any um, like groups resources for this or is it just get involved, figure it out? And uh, so the UK, um, the Met police uh, got funding for a mentor um, program and that was kind of what I started help building when I was there. Um, I hope and I hope and pray that they continue doing that. Um, in the U.S., I don't know of anything like that. Um, U.S. is very hands off when it comes to cybercrime, which I don't understand. They're very great. They're very good at convicting people and imposing harsh sentences. But as far as like helping like the kids and like you know making them choose a different path. It's not there. Uh, connecting parents with those kids, just not there. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm always open to talking to parents or, you know, helping kids. So, wow. Now, I was going to ask you, so it was a perfect lead in. 
how can people get a hold of you? What's the easiest way to do that? Like if they want you to speak or maybe talk about how they can help their kid. Tell me about that. Sure. Um, I have a Twitter. It's at Stinger, S-T-I-N-G, 3R, 2013. Um, they can contact me there or on LinkedIn. And you have my LinkedIn. Yep. Um, and I respond to everybody who contacts me. It doesn't matter you know, how many people contact me. Everybody will get a response. Wow, that's super cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much. I think you're just a, uh, a wealth of knowledge and uh, a little mysterious, too. I think you're very intriguing. So, so thank you for coming on Fraud Busting. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.